Hello and thank you for listening to this Exploring ASD podcast with the Northern Trust. I'm James Nelson, I'm a psychiatrist in the Trust and I'm delighted to be joined by my colleague Gillian today. Hello Gillian. Hello. For those listening, do you want to introduce yourself and maybe say a little bit about your role? Yeah, so uh, my name is Gillian and I am one of the senior ASD therapists within the Paediatric ASD service and my professional background is that of a speech language therapist. Excellent. And the title of our podcast today is Why Does My Child Go From Not to 100 and What Can I Do About It? Mm. And I'm imagining that parents listening to this will already be able to relate to that. Um, And I'm wondering, Gillian, in your experience in the autism team, do you tend to see this as quite a common problem uh, for families that emotions can go from not to 100? Absolutely. Um, We definitely find that one of the most common reasons that parents and carers are reaching out to us uh, for support and advice from our service is because of concerns regarding their child or young person's management of emotions. Um, especially in this current climate, we are getting calls to our telephone consultation service on a daily basis from families concerned about how their young person's coping with their anxiety, managing their anger, um, and managing their emotions in general in the face of so much uncertainty at the moment and and change during this COVID-19 outbreak um but even before this time period um emotional regulation difficulties has has been one of the most frequent reasons that that we are involved with and and hear from families and I mean more broadly speaking it is accepted that people with ASD can be more likely to experience difficulties in their emotional development than their neurotypical peers and that this contributes to the research that we that we see that that shows that people with ASD are also more likely to experience mental health needs of some kind or another at some point in their lives. Yeah um, and, and I'm wondering parents engaged with services might hear the term emotional dysregulation used mm. and I wonder do you want to just mention what, what do we mean by emotional dysregulation and what does that actually look like in, in the real world? Yeah I mean we all experience fluctuations in our our emotional state and and general mood every day throughout the day that's the symptom of being alive but for our young people with ASD when we're talking about emotional dysregulation as something of a a potential concern this may look like a, a young person who's experiencing very frequent extreme reactions or intense emotions emotional responses that often seem out of control perhaps they're disproportionate to the situation or if there are frequent fluctuations in emotional state that are having an effect on daily functioning and general well-being basically when emotions are becoming a problem and they're not well managed day to day and this can present itself differently for each young person it can also differ for each individual depending on the situation they find themselves in so they may have very big very obvious emotional reactions such as crying shouting lashing out and that might be saying and doing things that they shouldn't and they don't mean um and that's what people typically think of when they think of someone who's emotionally dysregulated but for some young people it can also look like a total shutdown and withdrawing away into themselves running away um shutting themselves away and opting out completely yeah yeah and i'm, and I'm imagining that that families listening to this would would relate to all of that mm. and would probably even be able to describe in better detail to us from their own experiences what what those emotional states mm-hmm. can look like for their their young person i suppose a key question in here jillian is why does this happen what would be some of the reasons why a child on the autism spectrum goes from not to 100 
we can all identify particular stressors that can set us off, cause us to lose our cool and, and cause times of worry or agitation for us. And that's that's life and, and life happens. And that's the same and true for our young people on the spectrum. But we also know that um, young people with ASD can have a lot more to cope with or experience stressors and difficulties um, that are different or additional um, to the typical stressors of life and that are inherent to their diagnosis. By virtue of their diagnosis, people with ASD can be very rigid in their thoughts, behaviours, expectations. And so naturally when things in life don't go as they want or expect, this can cause significant distress and, and that would be more so than their typical uh, neurotypical peers. They can also experience difficulties accepting change and managing transitions. And this can include small transitions throughout the day. So between activities, as well as those bigger transitions that we all go through, you know, such as change of school. Managing uncertainty and, and unpredictability, either in daily life or in routines or, or even the behaviour of others, can also result in anxiety for our young people. Um, so I suppose considering, you know, for, for listeners at home, if a young person has ever had an adverse reaction or, or the least experienced anxiety in, in anticipating going somewhere new, and even if that's something you know they would enjoy. Communication and social skills difficulties are also inherent to a diagnosis of ASD and therefore social pressures and social demands can have a big impact on a young person's emotional well-being. So knowing what to say, how to manage conversations, keep up with peers, etc. That can be challenging for any young person and, and more so for our young people with ASD who may struggle more with these skills in a social setting. Sensory processing needs can impact on emotional regulation too. So for those young people who have difficulty managing and regulating that the sensory input in their environment and who are prone to experiencing times of sensory overload, they will often be more anxious and, and stressed as a result. And some of those common sensory triggers that I'm sure our listeners can relate to will include things like noise, crowds, um, unwanted touch, um, clothing, particular smells. Um, even simple self-care tasks like brushing hair or brushing teeth can be really challenging for young people. I suppose um, school um, is one that's worth worth me- worth mentioning. Um, it's a big trigger uh, for young people and it's, it's, it's something that families will talk to us a lot about. Um, and it can encompass a lot of what I've already mentioned here all at once. So as well as those academic demands, there are the social pressures and communicate down peers and teachers to navigate managing the sensory stimuli in classrooms and corridors managing last minute changes to the timetable coping with unstructured times such as break and lunch so lots happening in a day and and parents and carers may be familiar with that coke bottle analogy where you know the bottle is shaking over and over and that represents all the little stressors building up in a, a young person uh, to the point where it's opened and fizzes everywhere and that's much like the emotionally dysregulated child who explodes at some point in their day or, or when they get home. And sometimes they will mask it until they're home so that school don't see these issues. Um, and I'm sure there's lots of parents and carers listening that can relate to this and are nodding along at that point. So, I mean, I, I've mentioned, just, you know, a handful of common reasons why a young person might be experiencing times of emotional dysregulation, but it's by no means an exhaustive list. And, and parents and carers will know the young person best and, and will be able to identify their own triggers but yeah, I think it's just helpful to be able to stop and really reflect on how much our young people can experience in a day. And often that's all happening while they aren't even with us. And mm. so why they may then 
go on to present how they do at home. Yeah, that's helpful because I, th- I think you're pointing out there are a huge uh, list of, of, of different possible reasons why someone with ASD could find things more stressful. And when they add up and when the Coke bottle is shaking, it is, it is difficult. And, and then it's kind of almost understandable, really, isn't it, that the... Mm. The Coke bottle explodes, uh, and and that, and that things become overwhelming. Yeah, that's a, yeah. a helpful summary of it. And I'm wondering, Gillian, parents might be thinking, is this always going to be the case? Is my child always mm-hmm. going to have this struggle with their emotions? And we any thoughts on that? About yeah. is this something that children will will always struggle with throughout mm-hmm. their life with their ASD mm-hmm. diagnosis? So, as mentioned already, we know that our young people with ASD are at higher risk for experiencing emotional regulation difficulties and this can manifest into mental health needs of some kind for some young people at some point in life but it um, just simply isn't possible to predict you know what will be a struggle for young people as they get older or if they will still struggle as they get older and it can certainly be that with the right support and application of strategies that work a young person can learn to manage their emotions very effectively and maintain you know, good emotional well-being on the whole it also depends on the stressors that they'll they'll experience at different points in their life. Um, much like all of us, we all will have times when our mental and emotional health dips in response to certain triggers or life events. And this will be true for young people with ASD too. They may simply have more or different triggers and that can mean it can require more of a, a conscious effort to maintain good emotional health and well-being. But certainly that's that's not to say that all young people with ASD will go on and struggle for the rest of their lives or will be certain to experience mental health needs of some kind in their future because that that's not true either. Yeah, and just as we're chatting here, Gillian, I'm, I'm thinking about that analogy again of the Coke bottle bursting mm-hmm. uh, and actually thinking that there is a learning opportunity in there for families every mm-hmm. time. And it's it's a description about almost playing detective, about thinking why why has it been so difficult at that moment? Why did it happen then? And, and that journey of families and young people themselves learning more and more about what are the things that shake the Coke bottle. And as those are better understood by a family, better understood by a young person, better understood by school, then things can be done about it. Um, Absolutely. So that the Coke bottle is less shaken. And I'm definitely overusing that analogy now. <laughs> and I'm, I'm wondering then, focusing in on, on a parent or a, or a carer, and they're listening to this thinking, okay but what can I do so Mm. what advice would we give them I mean thankfully there's lots that parents and carers can be doing to support their young person with their their development of those emotional regulation skills and and to practically help them in those times when they're in that emotionally dysregulated state first thing that's important to mention um is the importance of visual supports um within the environment and I know that this is already been covered in much more detail by my lovely colleague Lois um, in a separate podcast called Supporting What You Say in a Visual Way and I would highly recommend parents listen to that because providing a visually structured environment makes life much more predictable for a young person with ASD and thus reduces some of the anxiety that can manifest when a young person is attempting to process and understand information. Um, So examples might be use of a daily visual schedule weekly calendar visual aids to break down the steps within a task and putting reminders into a phone or a tablet color coding school books and folders all these things take the uncertainty and an element of stress out of a young person's day by presenting information in a format that they can process more easily so yeah i would definitely recommend parents or carers have a think about 
how they can increase or introduce visual supports in a meaningful way to help take away some anxiety and stress around routines for the young person. It's so important for parents and carers to be looking after themselves and ensuring that they can present themselves as emotionally regulated when they're supporting and working through the young person's big feelings. You know, they need to see you staying in control. Uh, We often talk about the low arousal approach or I like to talk about maintaining your outer swan so you're calm on the surface but you might well be pedaling hard underneath and that can be a challenge so I'm not discrediting that either that is difficult sometimes in the, in the face of it but um, just something I think for parents to reflect on is is how are you presenting how you're managing your emotions and um, are you modeling emotional regulation for your young person some other kind of general uh, tips and considerations when sort of talking with your child or young person about what they're feeling and helping them work through those emotions I mean validating their feelings is so important allowing them to have their feelings so that they can learn that they're capable of dealing with them Let, letting them know that it's okay to feel the emotion that they're feeling and giving it a name sometimes parents can fear that, that will make it worse and the opposite is often true um the young person who hears those words to sort of describe what they're experiencing can be really comforted by that and someone's acknowledged that inner experience um so yeah validating feelings is, is really important and, and listening fully listening um with your full attention because um life is busy but if our young person is coming to us or talking to us about their f- feelings it's really important that they know that you're really listening and you're there to support them to explore their thoughts and feelings and help them come up with solutions yeah there's a a lot in there mm. Gillian and maybe pulling out a couple of bits of that um, you were mm-hmm. describing there about the value in parents describing the emotion that mm-hmm. a child or young person might be experiencing mm-hmm. and I think that's a really helpful comment I, I know from chatting to young people on the autism spectrum when they're feeling overwhelmed at times they, they may not actually be able to describe it it might be very hard for them to label their own emotions and then of course someone can come along and go what's wrong what are you feeling <laughs> which just makes the whole thing worse um yeah. shakes the coke bottle so to speak mm-hmm. but but actually then suggesting some emotions that they might be experiencing not in a mm-hmm. very prescriptive this is how you feel way but mm-hmm. but trying to put labels and trying to understand mm-hmm. could be quite comforting so i think that really resonates with me what you said there and and, and you're also drawn out there at the start of about how the parent reacts and I, I'm I'm just thinking as you're talking because any of us when we get pushed enough or provoked enough we can just lose it a bit. Um, mm-hmm. that that's life. But I'm just thinking how that would make it even harder for the child on the spectrum who's feeling very dysregulated because mm-hmm. all of a sudden their parent has gone from maybe being quite predictable and understandable to in that moment of losing it, acting in a way they weren't expecting. And we all know that children mm-hmm. on the spectrum can find the unexpected very stressful. So mm-hmm. straight away that's made it worse. And then, of course, the young person might find it harder to understand the emotions that the parent is experiencing. So that's mm-hmm. an added stress as they're trying to work out why is my parent just gone ballistic. So mm-hmm. absolutely, yeah, there's a lot in there for families as they negotiate this together. Yeah, mm-hmm. okay, definitely. In terms of then helping a young person, I wonder if we have any advice in here for, for parents. You know, if they're trying to start to teach their their child. Uh, some skills in this area of how to manage those those really stressful times uh we any mm. advice there Gillian? when it comes to teaching emotional regulation skills we tend to look at it in a kind of hierarchical way 
So as we've just touched upon there, the ability to identify and understand your own feelings as they're happening, that self-awareness, what our feelings are and when we're feeling them, we can't be in charge of them. Um, and then how to accurately read and understand the emotional states of others. So we've touched on that too, that extension from self-awareness to awareness of others, being able to put yourself in someone else's shoes. So it's really important and necessary to develop a young person's skills in these areas before we can begin to expect them to know how to manage their emotions effectively. So lots of ways that, that parents and carers can be supporting the development of these skills at these stages. If you've got slightly younger children, lots of ways in which to build this into sort of games and activities to develop a sort of awareness and the use of emotions vocabulary and, and increasing that emotional literacy by using tools like pictures to be labeling and describing the emotional states of, of others. So for example, using simple emotions pictures to play card games such as matching pairs and you can be practicing the emotional labeling there. Creating a photo book of family members making different expressions to denote different emotions. That's quite fun for some of the younger children, especially um, to be able to see and label people that they know. Um, and in doing this emotional labeling that you can then begin to link emotions with an associated reason or possible reason putting emotions words on bits of paper and playing feeling charades is another fun one um where you they have to act out the word that they pick um just want to find those fun ways to get that practice in around emotional labeling and using that those emotions words most practically useful i suppose is also getting into the habit of a daily check-in of feelings um, to practice these words this can be something that you support visually with the use of like a feelings board showing a range of different emotions um i would say get the whole family involved allow for opportunities for modeling how we express our feelings providing prompts for the young person to do the same and it also helps to develop their listening skills and empathy for others um and i would just make that part of normal daily life i'd get that into the routine and make that a habit you know for example maybe it's around the the table at breakfast time that you do your daily feelings check-in and we all do it together parents and carers as well will need to be providing those labels of how their young person is feeling in those real life moments and scenarios too so you know for example yeah i can see that you're cross because your brother took the remote from you even by modeling how others might be feeling in things like books and tv shows if that's motivating to the young person just anything really to help increase that young person's awareness of and exposure to emotions vocabulary in natural moments um and that can provide a model for how they can use that same language for themselves as part of increasing emotional literacy as well it will be important to teach the young person to develop awareness of those signs and symptoms of emotions you know listening to the message our bodies give us to let us know that we're feeling a certain way so the idea being that once we can identify what's going on in our body and understand that this links to our emotional state then we can learn tools to manage it so a nice wee helpful activity that you can do to support this learning is by creating a body map for different emotional states so say for example for worry or anger using a black and white outline of a body as a framework for talking about what it feels like in different parts of our body when we're feeling worried or when we're feeling angry so for example when you're angry your face might feel hot your heart beats fast maybe when you're feeling worried you know your mind races your stomachs and knots are sore the young person can label or draw this on their body map and a fun way I've actually done it before is using a big roll of paper and actually drawing around the child's body and using that as the framework for the activity and certainly body mapping will be something that will require the adult to be scaffolding the discussion and modeling giving examples themselves of how the feeling affects them 
because this is probably going to be tricky for a young person at first. Once you've completed that, it can be put up somewhere and used as a visual reference from then on for talking about those tricky feelings and how they're being experienced by the young person. There's a lot in there, Gillian. You're, you're giving us a lot to, to digest. And I'm just uh, winding back to the, the early part of your, your thought there. And I, mm-hmm. and I really liked it. And it mm-hmm. was saying that, well, the young person, if they don't understand their own emotions or they don't understand the impact it's having on others, how are they going to trick calm themselves down? So if, mm-hmm. if you're saying to your child, calm down, yeah. but they don't even know what's going on and they don't even know how it's affecting everyone else, you, one can then see mm-hmm. why, why that's going to be a real struggle. Uh, so that mm-hmm. that's a really helpful principle that we've mm-hmm. got to get those foundations of helping the young person understand their own emotions first before mm-hmm. they can build on the what to do about it and, and seeing as well how it affects others. And you're giving us practical tips mm-hmm. in there which I really like and I, I'm just thinking as you're talking there about the the day-to-day picking up on emotions mm-hmm. and commenting on them uh, whether that's on tv or or in a family member or whatever and and maybe parents will think well that'll sound really odd to do that <laughs> and that'll be really weird and why would I do that and and my thought back to and I wonder if you would agree if it's feeling kind of odd that's okay because f- for neurotypicals for people not on the spectrum that would be a bit odd to say oh look that person's smiling that tells me this or that but actually mm-hmm. For young people with ASD, that can be really hard for them to start to learn and they need taught it. So I, I don't know, would, would you agree with that? If they're teaching emotions and it feels really weird, that's okay and they're probably doing it right? Yeah, definitely. That, okay. it's, it's really important those skills are explicitly taught for our kids on the spectrum. Yeah. 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 Whereas if, if, if families have got other children who aren't on the spectrum, they'll never mm. have had to do this uh, mm. in, in some sense. Yeah, uh, definitely. And just one thing I want to draw out from what you were saying, you were talking about body mapping and scaffolding. Mm. Yeah. And, and and maybe just in case anyone was sort of wondering exactly about, about that. So body mapping is, is, is drawing out the outline and labeling where emotions are felt. And then scaffolding is, do you want to just explain that for anyone in case they didn't follow that bit? So I suppose that's the parent will having to do maybe the bulk of the work initially in these kind of activities, scaffolding those discussions, providing those lead-ins, um, offering suggestions of how that feels for them, what that's like for them and sort of offering or putting that out there to see if that's something the young person takes them up on the act of sort of scaffolding the conversation is so much that it's, it's led by parents and it's but hopefully in a natural way where you're not heavily feeding the prompts but you're you're having to kind of introduce those language and those concepts as we say quite explicitly and because that's that's what needs to happen in those early stages yeah that makes yeah. sense that that's helpful thanks so we've been thinking there Gillian, about emotions and about understanding we've been thinking about how to develop that learning and and labeling emotions i'm wondering are there practical strategies for for a young person to calm down Uh, any advice about that firstly it's it's worth asking yourself what what already works for a young person what do they find enjoyment in what brings them calm already you know activities such as drawing or reading playing with lego going in the trampoline for a bounce um listening to music even some time on a tablet or a console are considered helpful strategies to direct your young person to if if those are things that they find enjoyable or relaxing but also maybe you want to consider use of some breathing techniques which are a helpful tool for regulating breathing and focusing on the here and now an example just to give you off the top of my head would be finger breathing I quite like that one it's where you trace around your thumb and your fingers and as you move up your thumb or up your finger you breathe in and hold at the top and then as you go down your thumb or finger you breathe out 
mindfulness techniques will be helpful um, to evoke that relaxation response and lower stress. So mindfulness is a technique that does take some practice, but it's worth it if you can get your young person to buy into it um, and persevere with it. So maybe that might involve listening to visualizations or meditations. And there's loads of lovely wee apps for kids to support this. So I know the, the Calm or Headspace apps are, are really good, but you do things to cost with, with them. So a nice free one that I often recommend to parents is one called Smiling Mind, where you can select visualizations by age range. So that's quite nice. Other mindfulness techniques include one called um, Five Senses Reflection. So where you think of a nice, happy memory. Maybe it might be a holiday or a special trip or time with loved ones and you close your eyes, try to imagine that you're back there and focus on thinking of one thing you can see, taste, touch, hear, smell. Muscle relaxation techniques can also be helpful, especially for those young people who are quite tense um, and agitated um, as the focus is on really relaxing those tense parts of the body. So one example would be squeeze and release. Um, so pretend you're holding a lemon in your hand and you're trying to squeeze out the juice so you're really slowly having to sort of sort of tense and contract your 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 muscles in your hand and then you drop the lemon so you relax your hand and you relax all those muscles and focus on how your hand feels when you do that and you might have to do that several times over or there's other sort of muscle relaxation strategies where you focus on different parts of your body in turn and you, you focus on squeezing and tensing those muscles and then relaxing them we mentioned sensory processing difficulties um, impacting on emotional regulation and so sensory strategies will be really helpful for lots of young people. Deep pressure activities, they're known to have a common effect on our central nervous system. Wall push-ups get feedback into those muscles. Um, but you want to consider your young person's preferences with this. Um, so do they love particular scents? Um, perhaps they like having something to fiddle with or manipulate in their hands, such as slime or a stress ball or fidget toys. A really nice DIY sensory activity can be making your own calm down glitter jar, which a young person shakes and then they focus on watching the glitter until it's all rested at the bottom, which can be really calming and sort of visually quite appealing. You can find instructions online for making one of them quite easily. That's quite a nice activity. You might want to consider whether you'd be helpful to physically mark off a space or a corner of the house which is identified as a the child's calm zone or relaxation area um, and this can give them a really clearly identified space to go to when they would like some time to themselves or when you need to direct them to engage in some of their calm down activities so families I know who have created a calm zone in their house have done a fab job of making this space comfy and cozy and get the beanbags in, soft blankets, fairy lights, favourite things, the work's all in there for the child to enjoy and just to really help create an environment that is conducive to relaxing. Another really practical idea that is uh, that works really well for kids to consider putting together a, a calming toolkit for a young person to have access to as something tangible to engage in when they need to keep their mind and their hands occupied. So you can use a shoe box or a storage box and get your child involved in decorating it and putting items together. And that might be soft toys. Um, they love um, items such as colouring pens in the book, sensory toys, photos of happy memories, some of their favourite things, the wee collections they have. Um, and also even visual prompt cards for breathing techniques could be quite nice to put in there and then this is something that can stay in the child's calm corner or I know that some families have multiple calming toolkits so they've got one for the house one for the car one that stays in school um, and it can be a really great tool um, as long as the items are switched up regularly to sort of maintain that sense of novelty and to 
touch on the use of visuals again it may be an idea to create some kind of chill out board or calming menu of options to visually display some of their favorite techniques or go-to strategies and and this can take the pressure off having to think of something off the top of your head and it could be given to the young person when they're taking some time to themselves if they're particularly dysregulated and you want to just reduce your language you're simply sort of giving them their calming board and directing them to their calm zone some young people who are really very anxious and tend to worry excessively about things and kind of perseverate on on issues might find it helpful if you set up a worry jar box where they write down their worries and put it in the box and then for them to be addressed at a specified time rather than it be something that takes over their whole day and you might even need to schedule in specific worry time and worry free time that you have during your day to sort of help a young person who may have difficulty with compartmentalizing their worries or putting things to one side so yeah, I guess there'll be a bit of trial and error involved with these strategies. You'll know your young person best, what they'll love, what they absolutely won't love. But you can just sort of take from these suggestions what's relevant for you and, and build on that. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of practical suggestions in there, Gillian. That's really helpful. I can almost imagine some people might want to pause the podcast <laughs> and drag it back a little bit and listen to those again and, and jot some of those down. That was really, really useful. I, I'm laughing myself a little bit because right near the start, you said that, you know, games consoles can be helpful. <laughs> And if I was yeah. a teenager with ASD listening to this, I would then go and get my parents and say, look, um, they've told me I'm allowed to play my Xbox. Within uh, limits, of course. Within limits, yes. you know. <laughs> That's the caveat, yeah. Yeah. Um, in, in, in terms of how frequently this is useful um, and how families would implement this, mm. is this a kind of thing that just people use and do when things get very stressful and dysregulated? Or, or is this rather something that people build in bit more to routine and almost in a preventative way that it stops mm. things uh get, getting getting to a more difficult place absolutely um we would always say it's really important to make this be part of their daily routine build it into the young person's um day-to-day life you know specific relaxation time that happens every day and you can use their visual schedule to plan that time in the day where they're going to actively engage in relaxing and practicing strategies together um if you have an older child that might look like scheduling it on their planner or setting reminders on their phone um and this allows young person really in in those strategies for when they're going to really need them so it's going to be no use waiting until your young person is extremely dysregulated um to try to offer them a calming strategy like i've suggested today um yeah, it's definitely worth making that part of daily routine and that does act as a bit of a preventative approach um, to maintaining yeah. emotional regulation and that's so important for our young people who will often live day-to-day in a heightened state of anxiety or, or who are generally over-responsive to stress. So I like to say to parents, you'll know, consider it like you're sort of keeping them topped up in terms of their emotional well-being. And then when you can see that they're, they're becoming dysregulated... This will also be then when you're able to direct them to particular strategies or to engage in relaxation techniques to help them with restoring that sense of calm. But definitely need to be building it in because it needs to be yeah. something that they are explicitly taught and um, that is practiced with them yeah. over and over, time and time again. Yeah, so that we really are thinking of this as prevention rather than cure. Mm-hmm. So this mm-hmm. is about, yeah, that, that's really useful. Yeah. And and just as we, we move towards finishing off, uh, Gillian, if, if a parent's listening to this and they're thinking... I'm not getting results from this very quickly. What what advice would you give? Well, I would say firstly to make sure that you really do give things time to be embedded. As I said earlier, emotional regulation skills take time to learn and for learning to be generalized. 
So there will definitely be rocky days where things just don't seem to be going to plan. But it's really important to keep going and, and know that you're doing all those right things and that the hard work and that input will will definitely pay off eventually. You've given us a lot of practical ideas there, Gillian, uh, of things we can try. And I'm wondering if someone's listening and they want to read a bit more about this. Are there any resources you would point people towards? Yeah, definitely. There's so much information out there online, especially in these current times and with well, you know that growing awareness around children's mental health and, and well-being and autism and i are a great organization and they've got lovely resources on their website they have a nice wee mental health resource booklet they have an anxiety resource pack for kids and one for teens too a lovely wee visual video on aids and techniques for managing anxiety so that's nice to have have a look at the middletown center for autism has lots of really um informative reading for parents if they want to get more um information access to free webinars at the moment on a range of different topics but they have got an online resources section in the emotional regulation section there's links to some of those visual resources that i've talked about today the relaxed kids website is also a lovely resource for kids they've got packs for anger management anxiety support development self-esteem and we use some of their resources in our emotional regulation groups so they are really good and i can and vouch for them that's really helpful to have uh, other places people can can look thanks for that Gillian. and i suppose just as a final point if there's a, a parent listening to this and they're maybe just feeling a bit discouraged and they're maybe feeling like things aren't moving forward and they're feeling stuck have we any any parting thoughts for them yeah so it's definitely going to be a journey as we've touched upon already um developing emotional regulation skills for young people is something that takes time but keep going with what you're doing parents can only do their best and we um only ask that parents just give it their best go um try strategies as and when they can and don't give up too soon with things really try and persevere through uh, those initial stages that you might not be seeing immediate payoff and also remember to look after yourself as well we talked about the need for parents to be emotionally regulated and that involves self-care for you and taking time for you to restore your own sense of calm and use some of your own calming techniques or some of your young people's calming techniques as well Yes, thanks for that, Gillian. Good advice about the importance of keeping going and the importance of parents making some time where they can to refresh themselves as uh, mm-hmm. as they as they carry on on this, this journey. Thank you for all uh, those practical tips. Thank you for those thoughts, and thank you too uh, to you for listening. And we hope that this podcast has been helpful. Mm-hmm.